I'm Jordan Weitzman, and you're listening to Magic Hour. On the chair next to me sat a worn-out copy of Toni Morrison's Beloved, a favorite which Elliot Jerome Brown Jr. told me he's read at least three times. We were sitting at the kitchen table in the apartment which he's been living at in Flushing, Queens, on the upstairs floor of a yellow and burgundy house museum dedicated to the work of Louis Latimer. Latimer was the inventor of the carbon filament light bulb, an addendum and improvement to Thomas Edison's original light bulb. So the photographer is living in a house of someone who helped a great deal with the way we see, and in Elliot's case, it seemed particularly apt. At his recent solo show in New York at Nikel Boshain, his photographs radiated with grace and elegance, a heightened sensitivity to form, rendering unexpected, complicated, and beautiful images out of his everyday life. We had a wonderful conversation about it all, and here it is. I hope you enjoy it. The classic interviewing uh, trope is, you know, the what did you have for breakfast this morning, oh but, um, goodness, but I'm looking I'm... at it now, so I can't ask you that. <laughs> It'd be a little bit disingenuous, this, even this for a testing. I also have oatmeal. So oatmeal is usually, I'm so, I'm so interested in, in, in uh, routines, in daily routines, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm so curious just in like the minutia of people's lives. Mm. You know, right, which is like your photographs, kind of like um, yours too. I mean, yeah. Uh, let's think daily routine. I am a fairly um, routineless person, uh, so every day is different. The time that I decide to eat is different. So uh, I do not usually have oatmeal in the morning. <laughs> I typically like I'll cook a lot for dinner, like whenever I make dinner, and whatever I make for dinner, I'll usually have leftovers and i'll eat that for breakfast um and maybe like eat it with like avocado and um and an egg just to make it like a little lighter than what dinner was a little breakfast yeah Yeah. Um, a little bit more breakfast oriented yeah i do like to cook yeah are you you a good cook i think so um i think i'm getting better at it i definitely have not always been good at it like i used to microwave hamburgers like (laughs) literally frozen patties in the in the microwave really and then put a piece of cheese on it in the last 30 seconds and eat that um (laughs) but in in college i I met uh, this girl i was invited to her house and she was making ramen but like oodles of noodles like from the the pack like the dollar 99 cent packs she was like putting all these things in it like fresh vegetables and i had never seen somebody do that before like i'm used to like you know when i was growing up we would just make the make the pack put the seasoning in take a noodle out of the thing to and then throw it up against the wall to see if it was done like it was a very tacky ordeal yeah but um i was she was like putting vegetables in it and i was like what are you doing and she uh she was like yeah that you know it's essentially this is noodles and you can add whatever you want to noodles and i was like oh wow so after I saw her do that, I would I was doing that at my house. I was like, oh, okay, I can, like, finesse ramen. Like, you know, that'll be a fun thing. And then a friend of mine is also a very good cook, um, and we were dating at a point, and he, uh, had, like, kind of showed me a lot in the kitchen. So mm. I picked up a lot of things from him, like a lot of, you know, small notes. But I mostly kind of, like, cook from recipes and then just kind of adjust them for my taste. Yeah. So it's more through friends. It's not like, it's not, I don't know, oftentimes people watch their parents or, mm-hmm. yeah, watch their parents in the kitchen and kind of take cues from them. Yeah. From I them. did try yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> I tried that when I was younger, but like I came out to my mom and I was like, okay, I'm going to take notes as you're cooking. But like, it just didn't work. It didn't really stick. No? Yeah. Was your mom a good cook? 
I think when you're younger, you really <laughs> you don't have a lot of reference for what good means because uh-huh. your parents are the people who are cooking for you the most. Yeah. Like, I mean, compared to my grandparents, like my my mom wasn't as great, wasn't as flavorful as them. Um, there was a certain nuance to some of the, my grandparents' dishes that was cool, but I appreciated my mom's cooking. Um, my dad would cook too sometimes, and it was you know nice. Uh, but then once I got older, and I also think my mom has just kind of gotten less interested in cooking. Uh, like, you know, my brother is 13. My middle brother is 23. I'll be 26 and at the end of the month. Where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up on Long Island. Long Island? In Baldwin. Yeah. Yep. Little uh, suburb. About 20 minutes from where we are right now. <clears throat> so you're a New Yorker? I am a New Yorker. Yeah. Mm. So I grew up in New York, but... My grandparents, because of their upbringing in the South, like I also feel like I was raised in a Southern tradition. Um, and then I also my most both my parents grew up in Queens. So even though I'm from Long Island, uh, a lot of my upbringing was spent in Queens too. So I feel um, definitely like a hybrid. Uh, but I'm absolutely a person from the the suburbs. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that reflects in my personality a great deal. Wow. So. Um, you know, when I was growing, when I was growing up in the suburbs, I was, you know, a lot more uppity than I am now. Like just very, um, I harbored a lot of internalized racism and it was like very, very casual to kind of express like, or make fun of like people that were seemingly less privileged um you know the school that I went to which it it was kind of weird like we would I was only friends with black people but it was just kind of like commonplace for us to be like disgusting towards black people or just kind of like make make a make a joke of and I think that's always what it was hidden by maybe that's why we thought it was okay because it was always about humor um so there was a lot of like I would describe it as self-loathing I don't think very many of the friends that I had during that time would describe it the same. Um, but um, I for sure was like definitely struggling with that. Um, because you knew it was maybe wrong or it was, or you knew better? When I first started making images, uh, I was interested in making fashion, fashion photography. Yeah, at the time, like I was just very attracted to working with like white models. Um, but I would also work, like I would make photographs of my friends too. Um, but I would also, you know, be, I would too often like give preference to working with white, like working with white girls, like in the photographs or just kind of like admiring like whiteness, um, as like a young person. White girls. Yeah. I was also like into, into women and like, I understood fashion photography as like, um, like a thing that you made with women, like not something that men were necessarily a part of. Um, but like I was like, it's just kind of like such a complex, or maybe it really isn't that complex. I think a lot of people have this experience when they're younger, um, like just kind of like existing in the bubble of their lives. Like I was just constantly inundated in black spaces, but I was so curious about white people and like, you know, what do white people do? And at that time, I didn't have the language for understanding um, blackness imaginatively. Like whiteness was always kind of like, seen as like an other but seen as like 
it was like a grass is green on the other side kind of thing. Like you, I, I couldn't actually see how green my grass was because I just lived in it. Like this was normal to me. Um, but looking at white people, like I was like, oh, they have on skinny jeans. I'll never see black people in skinny jeans. <laughs> like maybe I should start wearing skinny jeans. And then like, you know, when I started listening to like um, Panic at the Disco and all of those people that were um, signed to that label, Feud by Raymond or Ramen, however you pronounce it, um, but like Panama and them, like I was like, I don't even know what these people are talking about, but I've never heard anything that sounds like this before. But again, like not really having a way to access blackness in like an imaginative way. It was just kind of like a matter of fact thing. Like I just had no way of, um, no way of articulating blackness with like a really strong sense of creativity, right. which is wild. So, Cause I love Missy Elliott. I, I really appreciated her, but like, I just didn't know how to relate that to, her race right but for some reason i could look at white people and like associate what they did with their race when did that change oh as soon as i got to nyu as soon as you got to nyu yeah that was my first time being truly a minority um and like actually having to like make relationships with white people and i noticed that in the like the first week of like interacting with uh, my peers that a lot of the things that I had reference for um, and a lot of the things that I was interested, how my humor worked, um, they couldn't reciprocate. And I was like, hold the front door. <laughs> I was like, this whole time, I was like, this whole time I've been black. Like, you know, that's what it like kind of like whooshed in my face, which is like, it, I guess it whooshed in my face in a way that I could understand because it definitely, that happened like, in other instances, like while I was in high school and middle school and whatnot, like, you know, I understood, I understood racial violence. I understood uh, racial oppression. I understood like, you know, culturally what, you know, what it meant to be black. But I guess I never understood it in a way where um, it impacted how I related to other people. Because like I said, it was just a matter of fact for me to be around other black people. Like that just makes sense. So now that I'm around these white people and nobody is like really like getting me, like I just felt like very stifled in conversation. Um, even though I did eventually like end up like making acquaintance and friends and like, you know, a laugh is shared. Um, but the person I became closest to in that first week um, was a guy who like, a white boy who only had black friends when he was uh, when he was growing up. So like I would mention something and he would like he would add on to it and I was like hold up <laughs> how do you know that? <laughs> um, so like we just had like we had similar reference. So when that just kind of like woke me up, where it was like Elliot, you again I didn't I didn't have the language to appreciate myself or to like understand how expansive I was or. Um, like I just thought that I constantly thought that that expansion was outside of me. Um, and you know, I don't, I don't think that having understood this at college was, you know, a deterrent at all. I don't, I don't regret like, you know, how I was thinking as a, as a young person. So you get into photography, you, Mm -hmm. you originally, you're drawn to fashion work. Yeah. Was there like, was it magazine stuff? Yes. Um, so I had always been making photographs, um, but again, like I was just making them as like a matter of fact. I was like, I want to take a picture. Like, let me do this. Yeah. Um. So I would like go to the mall and I would like you know take pictures as a way to like catalog things. Um. I would make scrapbooks of like 
my family. And then when we got to high school, I asked for a camera and I was primarily using it to like take pictures of my friends. Um, and what kind I, of pictures? They were like definitely like candid things, like more snapshotty kind of kind of things like when we would go out or if you have any time that we would all get together um and then i would organize all of the pictures into like a uh, an album on facebook and like give it a day and there would be like a a title to it or something like that that kind of referenced what we did that day um there was a girl her name was olivia hawkins and she told me that she wanted to be a fashion photographer and i was like what is that she was like what Nigel Barker does on America's Next Top Model. And I was like, that guy's not an actor. Like, but then even as an actor, I should have understood that he, if he's acting, he's playing a role that, you know, could be lived out. But again, I just thought it was a fictional character that, you know, he wasn't real. And I was like, whoa. Literally the next day, I went and went to the photo teacher and I was like, hey, I need to be a part of the photo club. Um, but yeah, it was just another one of those things where, you don't really realize the possibility of a thing or the um, the specialty of a thing until, I don't know, until something. And mm-hmm. that was, the like, you know, I was always taking photographs and then that, that uh, person sharing that information with me really clicked, made everything click to me and I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. The photos that I know mostly of, they're mostly kind of steeped in the everyday. Right, yes. So, so when does a, that... Con- big change. Yeah, when does that shift happen? So... A lot of things happened in that freshman year of college, um, and in the first, I took a digital. As a freshman, you had to take digital and fall digital one semester, and then analog in the second semester. So I started with digital, and um, immediately that professor, you know, we shared our interests with him. And when I told him I wanted to shoot fashion, he was like figure out what it is that your eye wants to work on, um, what your eye is stimulated by, and then you can you can relegate that to fashion or use you can use that in a fashion context. Um, so the first project that I made in freshman year was like this thing about gender um, and just like kind of experiencing gender in a non-binary way. And this is prior to like having a community of people in which I could actually discuss like what non-binary meant. But I was just thinking about, you know, gender, like being fluid in one's gender. It was important as far as like my the, the expression of my gender um, where, you know, I identify as a man, but I definitely felt um, I just felt like a lot of things. And I wanted I just wanted to have at, um, the freedom to exist in all of those things simultaneously. Um, but I guess it was never so strong of a, it was never so strong of a presence where I wanted other people to kind of like give me permission or give, or like give me space to do that kind of thing. Um, I would, you know, dress femininely, I would wear dresses and things like that. Um, so I just wanted, yeah, I just wanted to kind of be left alone. (laughs) So this is kind of like off the cue from your teacher who said to kind of think about... Think about what your eye is attracted to. What your eye is attracted to and how your brain kind of works. Right. Did you just kind of explore making pictures or like how are you thinking about how your mind works? I think the thing that that showed up for me most often at that time was thinking about flatness. Like how I could render things flat in an image. Like, you know, how could you take a bunch of layers and 
you know, kind of collapse them all into one thing, which is already what a photograph is doing. But how do you make it look like the photograph is doing that? Mm -hmm. So I was really obsessed with these like formal qualities. So I was like, okay, I'm going to allow that to guide me. And then I started thinking about, um, you know, at that time, that's where we were beginning to be exposed to artists who do use photography as a tool to think. And my application to NYU uh like included these five self-portraits where they asked us to think about what home is and uh I identified home as my body in this place you know you know looking at myself and trying to understand myself so I was already thinking about photography as a tool for thought and that was that was organized around race um those those photographs and then uh, being in school I wanted to think more about gender as well and then also being gay like I wanted to just I wanted to think about all all of those things together so the combination of this form and then also the combination of my awakening or like uh, a deepening of my connection to my identities pushed me in that direction what was the relationship between the stuff that was going on inside your head mm -hmm. and the pictures that you were making was there a connection there yeah, or was there it was all very sad <laughs> <laughs> because one of the things that I'm, that I'm so interested in is how and this is like one of the real excitements of i guess a certain kind of photography where it's you know it's more intuitively driven is that you feed your consciousness, you, or you feed your unconscious with, mm -hmm. with um, all kinds of things, with conversations, with stuff that you're looking at, with stuff that you're listening to, and somehow those things slowly but surely manifest themselves in pictures. Was that happening, or was there like was? And sometimes it doesn't happen. Sometimes you have certain things in, in your head, things that are inspiring you, mm -hmm. or that you um, you hope your pictures look like, and then they end up looking completely different. Right. Yeah, that was also a thing that he had encouraged um, this professor. He was like, he he just shared a lot of the ways that he came into photography, and he was saying, you know, when I was getting into um, getting into photography, I was like obsessed with Freelander, so I was like try to make images that look like Freelander, but then they wouldn't look like his, and they would there would be something that I noticed that was off in the re in the rep like trying to replicate what he did and i was like okay that's me like i'll follow that so i actually can't remember who it was that i was like really looking at at that moment but i was definitely trying to replicate someone i i, I can't remember at all who it was but they was there and i was trying to replicate someone and i was like this is not it and i was like okay i think i'm finding elliot um more like you know what it is that i'm invested in in terms of an image Two professors had mentioned to me the Ramble, which is a place in Central Park where folks would cruise. It was, yeah, this first professor was like really kind of instrumental, which is kind of weird because we didn't, we don't really have like a talking relationship. Um, and even as school progressed, like I didn't really seek him out or, you know, have conversation with him. But he dropped a lot of seeds that kind of like got me going. Um, but he had once mentioned that, you know, he and his son or like taking a walk in the ramble and he would like yeah i'd have to like shield my son from the condoms and the needles and blah 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 and i was like what the fuck is going on in the ramble like i you know i had no idea what that was and um i didn't grow up going to central park so i was like who are these why are people having sex in the woods like that's interesting let's think about that i wrote a paper on the difference between the ramble and uh the conservancy and like the difference in use of public space and like how people kind of like go around the intention of a space like why can people have sex in the ramble but they don't have sex in the in the 
botanical garden um like you know what is it about space that tells people you can do this here but maybe not here and then when i took that analog class and i was thinking about what i wanted to do i was like i'm just gonna make a work in the ramble so i kind of went into the ramble like looking for anyone who would kind of entertain me like hey i'm doing a i'm doing a project i'm a student like which was like definitely a weird interaction for many of these men They're like you want to take photos of me like no i don't want to do that um but eventually i found this guy who was actually really into art um and he had ideas back and i was like oh okay um so he's this older white guy and he um I think he was a hairstylist at some point, but he was just really into the fantasy of this project and like thinking about what certain images could be, like how this narrative could develop. So eventually we had crafted a narrative in which, you know, we meet one another in the park and then we develop a relationship of sorts. Like, mm. you know, I come back to his house and then we spend a night together. Uh, and I'm, but you know, the conditions were that I couldn't include his face in it, which I was like, okay, that's fine. Um, so that's kind of when I, be, uh, but yeah, that's when I became interested in anonymity and what anonymity could do for a photograph, because at that point it becomes all about the environment. Um, and because you're, you're having to like tell and something, anything, but without using a person's face or without using their personal story. Um, so already I'm having a distance, a distance really, well, I don't think I'm having a distance relationship with the people, but in order to make a photograph, I have to occupy a certain distance and make, make it so that the viewer has a certain distance. So it became this kind of like collaborative endeavor. Mm -hmm. I'm interested in that idea of like, of how anonymity, um, lends itself to an interesting photo. I think you said something like, um, you're always interested in this like simultaneous quality of someone being seen and unseen in a photo. Mm -hmm. How does that kind of teetering on those two qualities, how does it make for an interesting photo? Part of, part of uh, like my early interest in anonymity was because I wanted to make work like with black people. Like I didn't like, even though I had made that first, that freshman project with this white guy, I knew that I didn't really locate desire in white people and that if I did locate desire in white people, it was perverse. Like it was about, um, it was like not about value, valuing myself. Um, and it was also kind of about seeking a sort of degradation. So, and you know, there's probably loads of, loads of issues with that. Uh, but I didn't like relate to white people in any natural way. It was always from a, people say that y'all are cool like or people say that y'all are great like kind of way going back to that earlier preconception that you had yeah like the world kind of like sets y'all up as like being this like higher than thou thing um so i never related to white people in like a humanized way mm. or like a humanizing way and that came through in the pictures i don't think it came through in those photographs but it did inform why i wanted to be working with like black people like again that that's my life this is who i am like this is the body that i want to appreciate um and that i want to off i want to offer appreciation to others um so, you know because a, a lot of black people at some point um maybe assuming that a lot of black americans like kind of have this issue but you know black people just have this issue of possibly feeling undervalued or maybe just not beautiful simply because that is a popular narrative around it um and i mean beautiful and like you know 
in loads of ways, like beautiful surface level, beautiful interiorly. Um, so, you know, those are the folks that I wanted to work with, like people that I have a natural relationship to or um, a likeness with rather. I'm Jordan Weitzman, and you're listening to my conversation with Elliot Jerome Brown Jr. that we recorded in Flushing, Queens. To see more of Elliot's work, follow us on Instagram at Magic Hour Podcast. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. As an artist, you have um, a particular sense of beauty that might be a little bit more subtle, that might have different qualities. Oftentimes, when people look at a photo and they're like, oh my God, that's such a beautiful photo, <laughs> what they mean is, oh, that person looks really good. Mm-hmm. That person looks mm-hmm. really beautiful. But as a photographer, you know, of course, it's nice to look at a beautiful person in a photo, but that's not necessarily what makes it for an interesting photo. Mm-hmm. You're looking for other kinds of things. How do you negotiate that? Like, I mean, is transmitting your own sense of beauty mm-hmm. in a photo? enough or do you want to make sure that people look good who may not have Mm -hmm. a similar sensibility to you appreciate it as well Mm. in their kind of own subjective way um when i started making images of other people i didn't really want to provide too much direction or provide too much of or impose too much of my own ideal onto like what I wanted a person or what I wanted their space to look like in an image. So immediately I was like, you know, I'm going to come over, we're going to make an image, like, um, but you wear what you want. It doesn't have to be anything if that's what you prefer. Uh, You don't have to clean up. You don't have to make anything neat for me. Like, just kind of, you know, chill out. Like, whatever your house is looking like right now, that's what I want. Like, I don't want... I don't want you to feel um I don't want you to feel imposed on by the presence of me or the camera. With that, I'm I'm just in, I was interested in like how could we find like appreciation for how we exist or like across a spectrum. So like you can appreciate how you look like when you more intentionally design your space like maybe you've cleaned the dishes and like you don't have clothes thrown everywhere like things like that. Um but also how do you demonstrate appreciation for um, or acknowledgement of what your space looks like when it does become that. Um, so kind of like not, not <laughs> shivering um, in the face of like your existence. Like this is what it looks like. Like my house looks like this right now and it looks like this for as a result of several consequences. And I, I think this was a practice for me of like not being ashamed about any part of myself. I like just kind of, having understanding for how things got here like oh those clothes are there because i was like trying to figure something out like how to get dressed didn't like any of these outfits they're also there because i need to run out the house um and now they're piling up like you know everything is just a result of a decision um and i don't want to be i don't want to be um shy because a decision doesn't look like um it doesn't look pretty or it doesn't look like an ideal um so oftentimes when i'm making photographs of people 
I would say that I'm not the best portrait photographer for that reason, um, because I'm not looking for you to present yourself in a way that is like um, necessarily glamorous. Like I'm looking to kind of see you as you exist in this space. Um, there's, you know, and then I'm also looking to see how the light responds to you. But for the most part, like, I don't really care what your face is doing. How do you find that people relate to that in terms of like when you approach someone with that idea? Mm -hmm. Are people usually self-conscious about that? I mean, because people, I mean, in generally, I think, like to present themselves. I mean, everyone likes to present themselves in a certain kind of way. <laughs> I guess I can explain that in terms of two images. So there's one image called Syllables of Joy and Devastation. And it's an image of my friend Camille lying on a bed um, and she's in like a white like you know a white t-shirt that's what she's what she wears in the house and I think she's just in underwear but the comforter comes up to her stomach so you can't see what her bottoms are um, and when I took that image I didn't show it to her after we took it mostly because she was beginning to fall asleep and I think I left while she was sleeping um, but when I showed it to her after the fact she was like I think this is a beautiful image, but I don't like the way that I look in it. But I understand why you like it, which for me, that's an accomplishment. It says to me that the people that I share space with and the people that you know I choose to make work of, they understand what it is that I'm looking for. Um, and they also have a respect for what it is that I'm looking for, even as they might not um, appreciate the way that they look in the image. So, um, you know, it's not the most ideal form for her like you know maybe she wouldn't like that's not the image where she'd be like hey post me on my post take a picture of me looking like this and put it on instagram or something maybe that's not what she would how she'd want to be presented but um yeah she has respect and then there's there's another case in which i photographed a friend of mine um who's also an artist her name is e and uh i photographed them in philadelphia and they have a, they're very aware in particular of how black women are photographed and wanting to be presented in um, a way that, I guess for lack of additional words, um, wanting to be presented in a way that is soft. I went into the shoot thinking, okay, like I'm going to intentionally like make sure that this person is appreciative of how they look in the image um so that was more of a challenge for me but i was also making the image so that it could be used in a profile uh for an editorial so that it becomes a little bit more important in that way to focus to uh be a little bit more collaborative with the person and like what they how they want themselves to be imaged um so it was a lot of back and forth like how do you like yourself here you know what what ways do you like to be photographed like um, how haven't you been photographed before that you're interested in, like asking those kind of kinds of questions. So, um, and a, a third example, um, I was asked to photograph Rujeko Hockley um, at the Whitney Museum. And I was talking to Devin and Morris, who is an artist and uh, a friend of mine, former partner. When I was preparing for the shoot, he was, um, I was saying, yeah, I really want this image to like be like, very special like I want this image to look good and he was like well just make an image that demonstrates your admiration for her and I was like okay like you know I had already understood that but I had never quite put it in those words so I went into that shoot thinking that to myself like make an image that respects her makes an image that like upholds her value 
and how you know her position will be seen uh on the on the long length of things and often now I go into shoots with really all of the things that i that I learned through these three examples that I just gave. I go into shoots with a mix of all of those things. Um, how can I demonstrate a respect and admiration for these things and a patience with them so that people can feel appreciative of the image from multiple angles, like from my point of view, but also from their point of view. How do you um, select the people you want to photograph? Mainly the people are friends, uh, but so anybody that I've kind of experienced warm for some intimacy with, um, like, there's an image uh, called On Ice, and it's an image of uh, a friend of mine, whose, his name is Marion. And I had asked Marion to photograph him, one, because I just lo- I just really enjoyed Marion's presence and, like, the warmth that he exuded. And uh, then I, I finally went to his house, and I was like, oh, my God, I love, like, I love the details in this house. Like, you know, I pretty sh- yeah the, like the oil paint like was just so thick on the walls and um it was really thick in the moldings too and that style of brooklyn home was just so familiar to me and i wanted to make something that was both of him but also of this place so often i'm looking for warmth in an individual but i'm also looking for i love like seeing people be self-possessed uh like there's an image that i'm crafting right now um that's based off a screenshot that I saw on Twitter. And it's an image of a guy having sex with another man. And he is looking at himself in the mirror, or presumably he's looking at himself in the mirror, uh, just based on like where his eyes are angled. And the fact that the, where his eyes are angled is so focused um, there. Like it just seems so, yeah, it, he's really be, like beholden by whatever he's, um, whatever he's seen back in, in the reflection. Um, and seeing like you know the sex is interesting to me but the the penultimate interest is the self-possession like this person being enraptured by uh like their gaze and them witnessing themselves and witnessing the consequence of their actions on this other person like I, I love that like it just feels it just feels so powerful to me to watch people um be interior and like be private a lot of what I'm interested in as an artist is uh, just paying attention to how things happen. So sometimes I can have difficulty in making things happen. Like I could not, I don't think I could have intentionally designed the space to look like that. I'm not a very good um, premeditated visual thinker, but I am a very good visual responder where I can see something and figure out how to organize it in space in, in a photograph to my liking. You know, you often hear photographers talking about capturing something that they're seeing, mm-hmm. like, and want, you know, and making a picture of that. And I think of the way that I relate to taking pictures, and I almost feel that it's never like that. Like, it's never mm-hmm. something that I see, and I'm like, ooh, that that would be a beautiful picture. Mm-hmm. Like, there might be an inciting incident, like something mm-hmm. you're responding to, but then mm-hmm. the picture ends up being this, like, result of moving up and down and to the side and kind of dodging and weaving mm. and kind of just like playing around with the camera and with mm. the kind of things in the frame. Right. Yes. The thing that ends up becoming up the picture mm. is not this thing that you're initially seeing and wanting to capture. Mm. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yes. 
Yeah, no, it isn't. It is like very rarely that for me. Yeah. Um, and I remember when I was in school, there's a photographer who I really admired. His name is Jonah Rosenberg. Hmm. Um, he still continues to make images, and I I really appreciated his style when we were in school together. And he was saying that. I remember he said that if he has to make more than like six frames or like make or maybe more than two <clears throat> frames of an image and he would shoot with like a um like a small kind of like like a camera that fit in his pocket um if he has to make you know multiple frames of an image he probably shouldn't be making that image like he was really more interested in like you know the moment of uh that an image was taking place in for the most part I thought that most of him, his images were really successful um, in that way. I'm not that way at all. Um, yeah. I make a lot of images, oftentimes of the exact same thing, but because like you know one thing has moved over, or like you know the light is like in a different position. I make a lot of photographs of in a scene, in a given scene, and it's because I'm moving around. I'm asking people try this, move, you know, like right. very small adjustments to details that I think are very important. I'm curious about your approach to titling. What, mm. what do you think a good title should do? Um, I guess a a good title for me, like it should kind of place me elsewhere. Like I think when I've looked, when I look at artists' work, going to see the title is kind of like a a double. It usually double downs on like what it is that I'm feeling, or it provides like additional curiosity. Like I was in LA maybe two and a half or three weeks ago now, and. I saw Betty Sars show at LACMA and looking at her titles was just really refreshing because it just gives you an opportunity to kind of be in that artist's verbal space um, because the visual space is obvious is another is a communication in it of its own. And that's doing something that really is guided by the artist, but that is ultimately up to the viewer, how they relate to it. Um, but the words for me act a little bit more definitively in terms of an artist's um, intention or what brought them to this place um, because it's a way to synthesize a lot of different ideas in the way that the work is also a synthesis of ideas. In the way that the framing of an image is another possibility for um, understanding or another layer within the image, the title is also that. Um, so when I started like kind of working with people in these fictionalized ways, the title gave the titles gave me permission to be even more so. So like, you know, I wasn't gonna title it like I do have an image called Devin and Red Sox and that is Devin literally in Red Sox. And I titled it that yeah with the towel. And I titled it that way because um I was thinking of how probably thinking of someone like El Perez or maybe like Molly Madelon, <laughs> like, and how, you know, they, it seems like they, um, giving, giving an image the name after the person that it's made of seemed like an act of love or like an, an act of kindness, uh, to the person in the image. And I wanted to do that at that moment. But with, um, titles moving forward from that, I would say more often I'm making titles that reference a detail or that give that detail another place to live in something literary. The title that I marked down is, is it that I desire to see Jesus bend to witness them at odds or in question? Jesus loves me, but I believe that Jesus is in procession too. Is in process. Is in process too. Mm -hmm. 
I like procession though. 2018. Yeah. I was thinking about that person's expression and how they are not facing the camera. We can't see their hands, uh, what they're doing. Uh, we can't see what they're doing beyond their head. So it is quite possible that they're praying or in meditation with God or in meditation with something beyond them. And uh, one night, the person that is in that image, we were all, he, uh, he and I and another person were gathered in conversation um, about something much longer. But at that same time that we were in conversation, I was going through a book by Gordon Parks. And it was the book of his like more abstract works. And I came across this image of like a cross that he had made out of twigs. And the cross was like literally wilting. So like the branches were kind of like bent. The horizontal arm of the cross was bent. And then the vertical one was also kind of like wilting, like, you know, a, a dead flower might. And I was like, wow, that is, that's lovely. Um, and having done this residency in New Orleans, it took place at a Presbyterian church. So I was more actively thinking about people's relationship to God and people's relationship to Christianity and uh, what my own relationship to it has been. And I just took so much power in thinking about God as a as someone who's also in process, as someone who's also thinking, like, yes, God is this, like, omnipotent presence, um, but God is also still a, a thinking presence. Like, God is still making decisions. Like, maybe God doesn't demonstrate weakness in the way that humans do, but God does... Like, God is in process. I took a lot of strength in thinking about this large figure being in process because humans are constantly in process. Um, and in this kind of, like, search for divinity within myself or, yeah, it's important for me to be, uh, to remind myself that things are in process and that they don't always have to be understood in a moment. Right. Yeah. This idea of like that, like we're always kind of in process. There's something that I was thinking about in terms of how you use pictures. Like sometimes a picture will um, appear in its entirety and sometimes you'll kind of chop it up or maybe combine it with other photos mm -hmm. within like um, a construction of your something that you build. Mm -hmm. How do you think about like the, like the elasticity of pictures? Is that kind of akin to that thought or? Mm, yes. Yes, yes. The answer is yes. I'm constantly wanting to, like, see something move. And, like, move, movement doesn't actually mean, like, getting up and, like, moving your feet or, like, something kind of, like, endlessly gesturing. But, like, the suggestion of a gesture or the suggestion of a presence, like, anything that is suggestive, I think, lingers in this, like, animated quality. So I used to think that mediums other than photography particularly painting um and like collage based works um that were rooted in like drawing and color and whatnot i used to think that those mediums were able to achieve that animated quality more easily than a photograph um but recently i've kind of that just hasn't been the case for me um and i think it's been from living with some images of mine that, you know, aren't playing around as much. Like there's an image again of my friend E um, that's called uh, Just Beyond. And that image is hanging up in my bedroom. And the 
details of that image are constantly moving for me in my head. So I do think that a photograph, like a photograph, like on its own, framed in, you know, a fairly traditional way, can still maintain this animated quality that I'm after. Um, but often I'm thinking about, uh, yeah, often I think about objects and I think when I make photographs, it's very clear my investment in objects, like, you know, and my investment in space and because of that, it forces me to think about the photograph as a material and because I wanted to have a uh, like a three-dimensionality in the way that the spaces in which I make photographs do. Like, as opposed to just being a thing on the wall, like flat on the wall, I wanted to just be something that you can walk around, which means the photograph has to be an object. Um, yeah, I can't just have it be something framed and on the wall. Um, I wouldn't say I've been very successful <laughs> so far in, like, in envisioning objects to the extent that I think about them. Um, but yeah, those are, those are ideas that are on my mind. I do, I think about images as materials to be used for, um, in other ways. And also thinking about them as materials gives me license to make images that I wouldn't make, uh, like as like a final thing. So like, you know, yeah, they're like, you know, maybe I'll take a picture of that plant and that'll that can now be a material that I can collage into a larger work. So yeah, I do I think about the photographs as being in process. Like everything is in relationship to one another and there really is no one final form. Um yeah, there's no final form. They just all everything is kind of helping each other. Hmm. It's a pretty good note to end on. I think so. Thanks. Toodles. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> that was my conversation with Elliot Jerome Brown Jr. that we recorded in Flushing, Queens. This episode was produced by me, Jordan Weitzman, and was edited by Crystal Duhame. Original music in this episode by Adam Feingold. To find out more about the show, visit us at magichourpodcast.org and follow us on Instagram at magichourpodcast. Thanks for tuning in and see you next time. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.